All right, well, good morning. Well, it's great to see you guys uh, here. I just want to add my welcome. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. We're just glad that you guys are here joining us this kind of Thanksgiving kind of after weekend, and, and we're starting a new journey today as we're moving towards, uh, towards Christmas. So if you are thinking we're going to be an axe, I apologize. We will come back to uh, that and finish that and kind of a three weeks or so in January before we start a new series in uh, February. So, But today, we're starting this move and this journey towards uh, Christmas. And the way that we do that is through uh, the season that we call Advent. And some of you might be familiar uh, with that, and some of you uh, may not. And so um, here's what it is. Advent is the period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas and also a preparation for the second coming of Christ. And so really what Advent is, is these, these kind of like four or five weeks leading up into, into Christmas where we're going to focus on different things. Um, but really this idea for us is that we're, we're, we're kind of re, um, realigning our brains, so to speak, with this celebration of Jesus and his birth, while at the same time awaiting uh, this future coming of Jesus, right? This, this kind of second coming of Jesus, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit uh, this morning. So in order to do that, we're going to walk through the, kind of these different uh, five things. We're going to start with hope uh, this morning, uh, and then after that, we will move to love next week. Uh, the week after will be joy, and then peace, and then on Christmas Eve, you know, will culminate, um, you know, with the, the person uh, of Jesus Christ entering uh, into uh, the world. And so, uh, I don't know if you guys' family is like ours or not. I know last week we had some debate about when Christmas music was okay to be played, um, but this week, as I think about it, now Thanksgiving is over, certainly lots to be thankful for uh, in life, uh, and yet for us in our family, there is a radical shift that happens the day after Thanksgiving, because I asked to celebrate, or I asked to decorate Christmas pretty much the same time I asked for music to start, which is in September, so that doesn't go over well in our family. Um, but, you know, the day after Christmas, or the day after Thanksgiving, that's when we go, we cut down a tree, uh, and we did that. Yes, that's our family kind of tradition. We go cut down a tree, we find the biggest, you know, fluffiest, most brutal tree that we can find, and then we shove it through our door and scratch everything on the way up, and you're like, who cares? It's Christmas, you know? <laughs> like, you just get the tree in, and you're like, praise Jesus, we're already there. Like, this is great. Uh, and it just expedites this whole process of celebration, uh, right? And so there's this thing. And so for us as Americans and in our culture, right, uh, Christmas is, is really about lights. I mean, so whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you placed your faith in Jesus, like Christmas is great, right? And at the center of that, there is all these decorations. There's lights, right? Um, there's, there's candles. There's things that go up on the wall. Uh, there's all these decorations that go on in your house. And, 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 and so whether or not you love Jesus or not, it doesn't matter because Christmas is like this glittery, beautiful season, right? And there's just so much anticipation that that's building from any week and just kind of goes and goes and goes. And that's really what, what Advent is, is about, is that we want to celebrate all of those things. Like we want to embrace the season and we want to move towards that moment when we on Christmas Eve, it's like we, you know, collectively, you know, but figuratively, you know, hold baby Jesus in our arms and he goes, <laughs> and you're like, oh, he's so cute, you know? Like he's so great. Like we're excited to get there. And we want to celebrate everything on the way. Here's the deal. What we don't want to miss, though, 
is that you can never separate, we can never separate the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus. Because the moment that you do is the moment that Christmas becomes about something else. Right? It comes about something other than the gospel. And, it's, and it loses its story. It loses its impact. And so this morning, as we start with this idea of hope, you know, we're not just going to look at the gospel narratives and, and just see this, this story unfold. We're going to actually jump into First Peter and see about how this hope that we have in Jesus Christ really ultimately you know, comes to fruition. So we're going to start this morning with the idea of hope. But I have this question for you. And it's the question that's just, what is hope? Like if you were to, to take out like a piece of paper, and write in 15 words or less a definition of hope, you know, what would that be? You know, because I think that, that, that hope is a strange word. It's very broad. It covers a lot of things, right? And so at the, at the core of hope is this idea um, that, that you and I, whether that's as people or collectively, it doesn't really matter, is that we acknowledge that the world is not the way that we would want it to be, Right? Like there's something in life that, that just seems to be missing. And so what we do is we take this hope and we create a desired outcome over here, which is in the future yet to be revealed. And, and then we take our hope and we put our hope in that thing with the hope. So there's a lot of hopes. I get it. With the hope, though, that once we get there and those two things merge, when it becomes this new reality, that our heart goes, ah, this is the way that life is supposed to be. Right? And so there's this, this desired outcome, and the reality is, is that we have to wait for hope. But hope is this fundamental, it's, it's intrinsic to us as human beings. It's something that, that pushes us forward every single day. And, and it's not something we probably think about or talk about a lot, and yet there's this reality that it is constantly moving us as humans because we are in a constant state of anticipation for what's next. Whether that's what God wants or whether that's what we want, it doesn't really matter. We're in this constant state of anticipation. So if we talk about hope, there's a very different question, though, than to say, what do you actually hope for? Like, this is where, like, the rubber meets the road as we start to really think about what it is, what is hope, and how does that actually intersect with life the way that it is. You know, when I was um, younger and single, um, I remember going to, I know this is silly, but this is true, and so I'll just be vulnerable with you. Uh, I went through a season of life in my singleness where I really wanted to be married, and so every time I saw a girl walk through the door, I was like, ooh, future Mrs. Dunham? And then she'd be like, and I'm like, nope, somebody else, <laughs> you know? Um, like, just like I hoped to be married, right? That's one thing. But there's also these other things too, very practical, simple things. Like you decided that you're going to have tacos for dinner and no taco is complete without fresh guacamole. And so you're like, I hope that the store has ripe avocados, Right? It's simple, and yet these things are true. What about some other ones? You're a student, and you're at school, and you go, man, I really hope I get into such and such university. I hope that I get into, I have such and such scholarship. You know, this is a big one today with inflation as big as it is, which, by the way, when we went and bought our Christmas tree the other day, they charged us 20 more dollars than what we paid last year. I was like, that's not fair. All you had to do was let it rain, <laughs> and you charged me 20 more dollars. I was like, I get it, you gotta cover your costs, but now I'm losing more. <laughs> you know, like inflation for many people, there's this, at the end of the season, for many people in jobs are going, I hope that I get my Christmas bonus. Because that's a big thing, 
in order to help cover expenses, cover costs, right? Um, like, you know, every time, you know, my daughter comes home from school and I say, hey, sweetheart, how was your day? And she goes, <coughs> and I'm like, oh no, I hope you're not getting sick, right? Because that means I'm going to get sick, right? And we hope that that doesn't happen. Um, another random silly one, because I'm just showing the breadth of this word here, right, um, is that several years ago I went to a Starbucks and I was meeting somebody, I don't remember who, or I was working or something, and, and, uh, and I realized I needed to go to the bathroom. And so I went back to the bathroom and, uh, and, I, and I closed the door and I went to push the, like, the lock button and it went bing, bing, it kept coming out. And I was like, I think it's locked. I hope it's locked, but I can't be sure. Most tense two minutes of my life. <laughs> you know, like you're sitting in the bathroom and every noise you hear, you're like, <laughs> because you hope that it's locked. I mean, like the whole time I was like, oh, please be locked, please be locked, please be locked. We hope for all of these things. Here's the deal, guys. We, we attach our hope. We all, every single person in this room attaches our hope to something. And what we're doing is that we're acknowledging that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. We're acknowledging that something in the world is off. Right? It's not right. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. And so what we do then is we create that desired expectation and we put our hope in that with the hopes that it brings these two things together, the hope that, that it makes the thing in this world right. And so here's this, this, is, this is true. I think this is important. Because what you put your hope in is one, I'm not saying it's the most important, but it's one of the most important things about you. Why? Because it will reveal that which is most important to you. It's important about you because it's important, reveals what's most important to you. And part of the challenge here when we talk about the word hope is that the word hope is so broad, right? It can cover from, man, I hope there's green bean casserole at Thanksgiving dinner to, I hope I get married. Or whatever that is, it's so broad, and there's really good, positive things to that, that it can cover all of those things, and we can hope for all of those things, but what we actually are doing is that we're exposing the lack of depth of the word hope in today's culture. It's showing that the way that we think about hope, the way that we talk about hope, is very shallow, Right? It's, it's this very shallow view of hope, and it's almost this watered-down version of something, the way the culture defines it versus the way that God defines it. God is saying, no, hope is about something so much deeper than the way the world talks about it, right? And it's about the, this, this broken, chaotic mess that's happening in the human heart. And so God says, I recognize that the world is not right. So I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to send my son. And so that's what the Advent season is about. We've got these candles here, you know, and we've got five candles, right? Because it talks, it represents all the different five things that we're going to talk about as we move towards uh, Christmas Eve. And so part of what we'll do is we will light kind of a new candle each time. And so today is the first one as we talk about hope, but what we're doing in acknowledging or in seeing just one candle, we're acknowledging that we are still in a process of waiting. We're moving towards this moment together as a group of people to celebrate the birth of Jesus while at the same time anticipating the second coming of Jesus, right? 
So if you have got a Bible, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Peter? Uh, if you don't know where it is, you can check um, you know, the very front of your Bible. Uh, but another easy way is to go basically all the way uh, in the right to your Bible. It's very, near the very end, uh, and we're going to be in there. And guess there's no way that we can unpack everything that is in these, these 12 verses, okay? There's no way. Uh, and so this morning, I, I want to spend as much time as I can on the, the front part of this text. And really what I want to do is I just want to point you to Jesus, Okay. I want to point you to the hope that you have in Jesus uh, and how futuristic and eternal uh, that that is. So, and, and just to kind of maybe further um, that point, just a second, um, how many of you guys have seen uh, the movie uh, A Christmas Carol, right? It's got Scrooge. You guys remember Scrooge? Every time I think of Scrooge, I think of Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales. Not nah, that's wrong. Okay, don't think of that. Scrooge is this guy who um, is the epitome in many ways um, of, of the of all of the characteristics and qualities that are opposite to Christmas, okay? So Christmas is about generosity and love and joy and peace and all of these things, right? Scrooge is the opposite. So he is greedy, he is selfish, he's mean, he's curmudgeony. There's a reason why his name is Scrooge, because he is Scroogey. You know, that's just who he is, right? Like, and so here's this character. And, and what happens are these kind of like these ghost-like characters, which are obviously fictional, because the movie is fictional, um, and so just make sure we're all clear. Um, these ghost people come, and they take, they take Scrooge on this journey, and they show him his past, and they say, these are the relationships that, these, this, look at how you treated people, you know? Um, look at the way that you interacted with people, the bridges that you burned, the way that you destroyed life with your attitude and, your, and your, your posture. And then it shows them present, right? And so it's like, gosh, what's right in front of me? What am I missing right now? What are the opportunities in front of me right now that I can choose to, to love or to deny, right? And then there's this future, and it's really this, this, this portrait of a man who is like void of, of joy and happiness because of everything in life the way that he has just, he has turned, right? And so there's this past, present, and future. And what we're gonna find actually in First Peter uh, these first 12 verses is that he actually follows a very similar pattern, right? And so we, we're looking at the hope uh, of kind of like of Christmas future, and then the hope of Christmas present, and then the hope uh, of Christmas past. And it will all kind of get tied together. And uh, it's going to take a long time to make it through this. So once we get to the end of this, you're going to panic and go, gosh, we only have like five minutes. And that's okay. We can do that in five minutes, okay? So just, just keep your mind wrapped around that. So we're going to be 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what it says. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, right? So you can already see, even in those last words, right, the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So automatically, we come back to this, right? And we, we realize that we're talking 
um, right, the, the posture of the text is moving us towards this futuristic thing, right? There's this salvation that's ultimately going to be revealed in the very end. And it's not just the present, it's not, you know, Jesus' salvation, it's, it's the full culmination and completion, right, of salvation that's going to be revealed in this last time. Now, as we look at this, like, what we see is this is our story. This is the story for every single human being, right? Like, we exist in time, so we think about that which happened yesterday or five years ago. We think about what's happening right now, and we think about, you know, what the possibilities are of what could be in the future. And yet, this text starts, as it's going to point us to this, it starts with the character of the Father who exists, right, outside of time, right? He exists, so this is us, right, and he exists out in this world, right, uh, in this realm or this space, however you want to think about this. And part of the, the brilliance of this and part of the way that we can wrap our minds around this is that, like, everything here is finite, and yet what is here in his zone, in his space, is infinite, right? And so he is described as a God who has this quality or attribute of mercy, right? And mercy is the idea of like not giving people, you know, something that they, that they deserve. So when humans deserve death, he's like, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to give you something different, right? But this is the quality of God that generates his giving nature, right? And this is interesting because of this infinite thing. Like we think about this and we go, well, like uh, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around with the idea uh, of God's infinite mercy, right? It's, there's this reservoir that he has that he can keep pulling mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy from, right? Because it's infinite, right? Because that's, that's God and that's his nature. And for us, we have a hard time with that because everything that we do, right, we ration in everything. It's not just food. It's not just water. Like our emotions, like there comes a point when you go, I am out of love right now, right? Or I am out of patience or whatever that is, right? And so we're not used to that. And yet God is up here. And so God in his perfection with the Trinity who are working together to redeem earth from their brokenness, they say out of our mercy, guess what we do? We interact with and we interject ourselves into this timeline of a story in a way that's going to fix and resolve all of this, right? And the, the way that they do that is through Jesus, right? Through the death of Jesus Christ, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus. And so he's able to bring hope into this space, okay? Are, we, are you tracking with me? Right? And so what we're going to find, though, is how do we think about hope in the midst of an eternal, ultimately an eternal story? Which, by the way, um, when you look at this, um, I love how it starts with the word blessed. You know, um, when we think about the word blessed, I mean, like we lived in the South for a long time. And so uh, when somebody said, like you were talking to somebody in a conversation and they would say, oh, bless your heart. I quickly realized that's their way of saying, Haha, you're foolish. And I was like, oh, like at first I was like, that's so sweet of them. That's so nice. And then they're like, you know what that means? I'm like, no, no. Oh, what? That's terrible. You know, like there's this like, oh man, that's just painful. And so when we think about this though, it's not that God needs these compliments that he is blessed or needs to be blessed. It's this idea of praise. Like we're, we're moving, we're saying, gosh, like praise be to God. Why? Because he is the father who has this unlimited mercy and he's entering into the story. And it starts ultimately with this joy and this praise, right? But it says, though, um, what's this, this big cause, or what is it that he has done? Like, how has he entered into the story? Well, the, the verse tells us, it says that he has caused 
us to be born again, right? Like, it's like a second time. So when you enter into the world the first time, like, that in and of itself is an act of God. Like, he, like he designed you. He knows you. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. He knows, like, every wiring about you. And it's this incredible thing that God actually knows those things. And so you are an act of God's creation, among other things, right? So, right, you're an act of God's creation. But here it says that you'll be born again, Right? And this takes us back to Nicodemus. There's a story with Jesus. He's interacting with this, with this priest guy, right, Nicodemus, and he's going, Quickie, Jesus, look, let's have this conversation. And Jesus says what? He says, unless one is born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom. Now, if you're a grown adult, especially in that age, before any of this even became like, revealed, <laughs> you're like, how in the world does that work? Like, I can't, like, like my, my mother's womb, like, that's, like, out, like, that's not an option, Right? That's not the way that, that biology works, right? And so, is he, but Jesus is referring to this idea of that once you are born into this world, though physically alive, you are spiritually dead. And so there is this regeneration that's needed. There's this born again, moving, shifting from physical to spiritual, right? And so that's what we're talking about here is this being born, uh, born again. Like we are each born into chaos and brokenness. And, and by the way, it's our, it's our tenacity, it's our disposition to always choose to go back to sin, right? Like the whole Testament talks about a dog returning to its vomit. And you're like, that sounds really gross. And yet that's what we do. We think that one sin's going to fulfill us, and we're like, oh, we do it, and we're like, oh, that didn't work, but I'll do it again. Maybe it'll work next time, right? And that's just the way that we are, right? And it says here that God is this, this acting agent. He has this cause and effect relationship, like that we, apart from ourselves, could not do or accomplish any of that. And so as the cause and the acting agent, he enters in, he causes regeneration and rebirth, this born again, and we become a new creation, which is an incredibly powerful story. If you heard this last week, we looked at the conversion of Saul in the New Testament. We go, man, Saul's story was so great. It was so powerful when you look at that. And yet, one of the things we, we talked about was this idea that for each of us, guys, there are no boring conversion stories, okay? Just know that. But there are boring what? Storytellers, Right? Because we can take this great, amazing, powerful story that started not with my sin, but with my separation from God, and we can be like, yeah, 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 you know, Jesus. What's the answer? Jesus. You know, like we can, we can simplify and water down, and all of a sudden, it's not powerful. And I love that if you were, you could actually go further in this passage into, into the end of chapter 1 in verse 23, and you could see this idea of being born again a second time. And what it says, though, is, 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 is Peter is reminding us. He says, you were born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, right? And so, what, you know, what's so neat about what he's doing, right, is you come back to this, right? There's this father who has mercy, and he sends his son and death and forgiveness and all this stuff, right? And then you look at this, and so for us in the present, with the focus here on the future, he actually builds this bridge, and he connects, he connects it to the eternal story, 
right? He's, he's placing it in a place yet to come in a permanent and concrete way because he's saying it's not perishable, right? If there's a way at which it could die or it could be killed, then it's perishable. But it's not that. It's this imperishable seed. And so automatically, he's, he's building this bridge that allows us to see that our hope is connecting to something that is far greater than anything else that we can experience in this world right now because it's connected to the future. It's connected to something that is ultimately permanent, right? Um, and here's the deal. So he says, though, that when you're born again, right, he says, though, that you're not just born again like, like things are good and new and you're a new creation, great now, and go enjoy life and frolic in the grass and, and life will be without its suffering and pain. That's not what happens because pretty soon in our very next part of the passage, we'll find that life is actually filled with suffering, and we're going to find that this hope that's connected to the eternity has this very present cause. So that's not, that's not the point, right? But we are born to this idea of this living hope. We are born again to a living hope. There's that, that word hope. It's a key word, right? That's what we're talking about, hope. So, but it's a strange thing to talk about in this way. It's a living hope. Right? So what's Peter saying? What is Peter, what is Peter getting at? It's a living hope. Well, quite, simp- quite simply, this is, this is really what it is. Okay? So if, if, you are, if you are spiritually dead, it, it goes to reason that your hopes are in alignment with that death. Right? And so therefore, your hope is, in some sense, dead. Right? However, when you are born again and raised with Jesus and you have new life, guess what? You now have a hope that is living, right? And so that's, that's the connection, right? Is that if you are born again, you now have access to a hope that the rest of the world does not have access to. And it's this alive and living hope, like in this space right here and right now, right? Now, but it does create this natural contrast for us as people, doesn't it? As humans, we see this and we go, okay, so if there is such a thing as a living hope, that means that there probably is some form of dead hope, okay? So what is, like, like, what is a dead hope really, uh, really look like? You know, you see, we saw in the very beginning, like, there's this whole breadth of hope, and you say, like, gosh, I hope that there, I hope I get married, I hope I get into such such university, right? It goes across the board. There's so many, so many different things that you could hope for. So we see the breadth uh, of that word and how big that it ultimately is. And here's the reality. Again, I don't think it's bad to hope for those things at all. But here, here's the point, is that whatever it is, however small or shallow of a hope that that is, or however deep you think it is, its purpose as a hope is not to fulfill you and to satisfy you, it's to point you to Jesus. So whatever that hope is, it's to point you to this deeper need, this deeper reality, right? This deeper fundamental heart issue. And so what we're doing is that we're revealing that hope in culture has this fundamental flaw because hopes in culture, in the world, are all connected to temporary things. They're always connected to temporary things. And the reality is, is that when we focus on temporary things, we end up focusing on our happiness. And here's the deal, guys. More than anything in this world, happiness is fragile. It is so fragile. I mean, it breaks so easy. And when, you, when it breaks, what do you have to do? You replace it 
with something else, right? So there's this, the, this hope of the world is dealing with these higher level things. And the reality is that it's not touching or going deep into the areas of our hearts in the deepest ways possible. You guys have maybe heard of Tim Keller. Um, he started this conversation kind of around idolatry many years ago. And, and he proposes that there are these, these four things. So you go, okay, like there's like lust and all these other things that happen in life or whatever that is and anger, um, right? There's all these different things that you might think um, where you're putting your hope and, and whatnot. And the reality is that those are actually these surface level things, that there are these four things that he proposes that are at the core of the human heart, right? And I just want you to wrestle with these, like, and, and I'm going to wrestle with them. And the first one is this, it's comfort. Like the, the world that we live in is designed for comfort, right? Uh, the other day we went to... Um, we went to Chick-fil-A, which is like one of my top five fast food restaurants. I mean, it's so good, right? It's just amazing. And we went, and there's this massive line of cars, and, you know, there's like two, two lanes and all that stuff, and my dad looked at it, and he goes, he goes, oh, my goodness, this line is like super long. And I was like, oh, dude, you got no idea. I mean, it was like, it was like, like 15 cars. Like, that thing can reach 60, you know, like that thing goes all the way out of the parking lot and all the way around the corner. Like it's over by Sears. They're like, hey, we're here for Chick-fil-A, you know, right? It's crazy. We live in a world that's designed for comfort, which by the way, how do you get to Chick-fil-A? Vroom. <laughs> you know, like there's all these simple things. Like you know, all you have to do is go to the Chick-fil-A app and you can just order it. You can bypass the line, pick it up and go home. Right? We live in a world of comfort and we go, I don't think we realize how much our hopes are tied to the idea of comfort. We love comfort. And that's a core issue in the human heart. It's a hard thing to wrestle with. We love, love, love comfort. How about this one? Um, approval. Uh, I won't make you raise your hand uh, just for the sake of not putting you out there, but for me, this is where I would raise my hand because I'm a people pleaser, and I might say, people pleasers unite. We will have a special prayer afterwards um, outside in the foyer where we go, we don't need other people's approval, <laughs> okay? And we will say, dear Jesus, <laughs> help us to not, you know? Here's this reality, guys, is that at the end of the day, some people are just waiting and waiting and waiting for someone to show up in their life and say, you are worth it. And they go, ha, oh, my day is so much better. Thank you, I'm affirmed, I feel better, I'm ready. But guess what? You have it the next day, and the day after, and the next day, and, and sometimes by the hour. We love and need and put our hopes in approval. How about this one? Control. Control freaks unite. People pieces over there afterwards, control freaks over there. Okay? Like, there are people in life who go, man, like, like their, whole, their whole type A plan or whatever it is is to build a strategy. Like, they go on a date and they're like, cool, where do you see yourself in 65 years? Because I got a plan and it's going to be good. 25 kids, no, I'm just kidding, I don't know. Like, whatever that is, you know, like, they got this plan. And you go, guys, from a control standpoint, can I, can I just say this? Guys, there has never been a point in your life where you were actually in control. And there's never a moment in your life where you actually will be. No matter how much you try to control the fact that you want to control, to gain control, you will never have control. That's the truth. I love that Matt Chandler says this about control, uh, control people. He says this. He says, I just need to get other people to do what I want them to do so that everyone can be happy. That's control. 
right? And you're like, yeah, that's me, <laughs> right? This, this deep core thing that we love and we put our hope in control. And this last one is power. You see, power isn't just this idea of like kingdom and rulership and, and all of that, right? Power can be these subtle moments when, when you're in a meeting with somebody else or whatever it is and you go, man, I just got to get my foot up just right over them so I can exert my authority so that they respect me. And remember that I'm the one who has the upper hand, right? We put our hope in all of these things, and whatever it is for you, maybe it's, maybe it's comfort. Because here's the, here's the reality is that, that none of us are, are, are very far away from one moment in life happening when all of the things that you put your hope in will vanish. You're a comfort person tomorrow, you're going to wake up and your car's not going to start. Comfort's out the window, Right? And the reality is, is that even deeper than that, there's no person in this room who is beyond falling to their knees in tears and brokenness after receiving a single phone call with bad news. Nobody in this room is beyond that. Because you and I, and collectively, we are not as strong as we think that we are. Which is why we talk about struggle well because everybody has struggles, and yet very few people struggle well. You see, to struggle well is this idea that in any single given moment, whether it's to myself or to other people, it's to point someone to Jesus. Because to struggle well is to acknowledge that it's outside of myself, and it's not within myself to do. It's to point people to Jesus. And guys, sometimes in life, and many times we might argue, right, that our hope is actually attached to our happiness. And again, we're not saying that happiness is bad. What we're saying is that happiness is fragile. Because when happiness breaks, or when it's fulfilled, whatever it is, it needs to be replaced. And so when your happiness is connected to your hope, guess what? Your hope is now fragile. Because your desired outcome is always shifting and it's constantly changing hands. It's like those, those, those beach balls that they outlawed at football games. Like they bounce it around, but it just touches a hand and then it's gone. Right? It's constantly shifting hands. And by the way, can you just ask yourself this question? Like, and maybe this would take you a long time just to ponder and to write and journal, but how much hope can something that's temporary actually give you? Like, how much hope can it actually give you? Because here's the deal. I think that hope needs to be attached to something that's permanent. And there is nothing that is permanent on this earth. There's nothing that is permanent in this earth. And so the reality, I think, is that in order for someone to have hope in the way that God designed it, because there's the culture hope, there's the world hope, and that's the, that shallow theology of hope. But in order to have hope in the way that God designed it and the way that he defined it is to attach it to something that is permanent. And the only place where there's something permanent is where? Eternity. Your hope is tied directly to something that is everlasting. 
a space, an environment is beyond us to comprehend, but that is where our hope lies. And I love that he defines it here. Peter, he says that this, this hope that we have is, is built in this inheritance. It's something that's waiting for us. And he defines it as something, this inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. You know, in layman's terms, what that means? It means that it's death-proof, it's sin-proof, and it's time-proof. And we don't think about those things very often because we don't think about hope. We don't think about the future. We don't set our eyes on the things of heaven more than we do on the eyes of earth. But when you think about something that's imperishable, we go, it's without decay, right? And yet, and yet this is so hard for us because as human beings, we go to the store. You want to make that guacamole, and you're like, man, if we don't use this avocado within a day, it's going to go bad because everything is in decay. It's constantly moving towards death. I mean, when I was young, uh, younger, uh, you know, I, I actually when I was in seminary, it's probably post my young days. But I was I met with a seminary professor, and we were just just talking over coffee one day, and it was this great conversation. And we we're just sitting there talking and, and learning about life. And and in the midst of that, he says, Seth, I, I spend forty five minutes every single morning uh, and do calisthenics, which is a fancy word for saying stretching, by the way. Okay. He looked at me, and, and I looked at him, and I was like, that's silly. Why would you do that? Because now every single morning, at only at 41, I wake up, and I turn my knees and go, and I go, I get it. <laughs> because there's something about, if you're young, you don't understand. When your body starts turning, you realize that you're moving towards the other end. And that's the inevitability, right? Romans, Paul talks about, he says that everything, all of creation is groaning. Yep, I get it, because that's what I do. I groan when I get out of bed. Whatever that is, the ultimate finality of death. And what, and what Peter's reminding us, he's saying, guys, what, you guys, you don't understand, is that this inheritance you have is death proof. It cannot be killed. It cannot de decay. But more than that, it's undefiled. So when we think about this idea of undefiled, we're talking about sin, which means we're talking about two things, our, our sinful nature and our sin. And so for us, we know that we are born into chaos and into brokenness, and yet when Jesus enters into that story, the old creation is gone and the new creation is here. And so before Jesus, we have a right standing with God, totally clean, totally pure, totally righteous, totally holy, and we go, man, that's amazing. Here's the problem. I still sin a lot. I struggle with sin every day. It's all over the place in my life. So what's, what's happening? What, what's going on? And I would argue that everything that we do is touched by sin, even the good things. And that's a frightening thought for us because we're just even thinking about the things that are on the outside, the things that people see. And yet there's all this stuff on the inside, those, those secret compulsions that you have that nobody else knows. Those, those evil thoughts that you have about somebody else that nobody else knows those dark emotions that you've never shared with anybody. And yet God looks at us and sees right through it. There's nothing hidden from him. And it's as if he would enter and say, Seth, you in all of your mess are fully known and fully loved and therefore fully forgiven. That 
is the hope that we have. Because what he's saying, guys, is that sin, whatever sin is here, is not transferred from here to here. This is untainted. It's undefiled. You don't carry any of that with you. And we, again, we can't wrestle with that because constantly, on a daily basis, we're like, oh, that sin in my life is just gross. It's painful. And yet, it's sin. It's sin-proof. And the last thing is that it's it's unfading, which means that it's time-proof. And, he, and at the end of all of that, he's like, like, no matter how much time passes, no matter how, how much this thing actually continues to go from present to future, whether that's another year, if that's 10,000 years, if that's a million years, it doesn't matter because the inheritance that you have right here is the hope that you have. And it's death-proof, it's sin-proof, and it's time-proof. And it's an incredibly powerful thing to think about how that then changes my hope right now. Look at verse 6, and this is where we'll we'll kind of breeze through this. Verse 6, it says, in this, this is like the hope of present, right? He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See how he's connecting it to the Advent idea, like the second coming? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, here's what I love about this. Just to give you one point out of this. If you remember back in verse three, it starts with this idea of bless, right? Blessed be God, which is to praise God. And here it says that he he goes through and he describes the painful trials and sufferings that we go through in life over and over and over. And it's hard. And yet he says, In spite of all of that, in this you rejoice. Why? Because your hope is not tied to present sufferings or to present temporary things. It's tied to the eternity, to that which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that is a brilliant thing. Many of you guys know that here at Salem, we've been going through some some struggles and trials, a lot of different personal things, and we don't know all that stuff and some bigger church things. We go, man, like, God, God, what's happening? Why why are you doing these things? Why are you allowing some of these things? And, and, And for me, like, I go, man, there's been so much that I haven't even had enough time to process these things yet. And, and it kind of hit me this week, um, and I was, I was sitting at a Caribou Coffee doing some study, and I heard like two tables away this guy who was talking to another guy, and he had a speech impediment. And as I just listened to their conversation kind of unintentionally, I heard it, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just burst into tears. And I was like, God, when is the world going to be made Right? This is not the way that it's supposed to be. There's suffering, there's hardship, and there's, and there's this need for the, for the world to be made right. And it's like God said in this moment, he's like, yeah, but you're thinking right here, don't forget what's right here. Because this is where all of that changes. And you're waiting for the moment which that will be revealed and your salvation will come with it. That's the present What about the past? The hope 
of Christmas past. Look at verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them in that time, right, to them that they were serving not themselves, which by the way, how hard would that be? They're not serving themselves, but they're serving who? You, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things, by the way, things in which angels long to look, right? So if we come back to our thing here, right? We connect. What Peter does is he connects then the Old Testament all the way over here, right? And he has all these OT prophets, right? And, and as they're prophesying, this is, this is what we know, is that in Jesus' birth and his death and in his resurrection, this is how God starts the process to make the world right. And yet these people have no clue. And so as they're prophesying, it says that they're, they want to know, they're like, God, can you give us a hint? Can you let us peek into it? Who is it? When is it? What's it going to look like? And God's like, that's not for you to know. You're not serving you, you're serving them. But when that came out, it's like, boom, the story is revealed. And the word that's attached, it says that they are what? They were concerned about learning about grace. You see, this is the word that changed everything. And it's what they wanted to know. It says that even angels from up here, they're like, hey, we want to know. We long to look. And God's like, hey, that's still yet to come. And this is what changed everything. And that in and of itself pushes us into forever. It says, this is where your inheritance lies, right there. Guys, our, our hope needs to be deeper and stronger and more powerful than, than hoping someone won't enter into the bathroom while you're in there, okay? Like, I think we all get that, and we, I think we all know that, but the reality is, is that we use this word in so many other ways that we tend to miss how deep this really is and how, how it goes into the darkest places of our hearts and says, I want to give you hope in the ways that revolutionize and change how you live your life. That's real hope that's centered ultimately around Jesus. And so I want to ask you this question. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. It's this, as you think, if we were to convert this into your story, as you were to think, or if you were to think about your past and everything that it entails, all of its guilt and all of its shame and all of its stories and all of the decisions and some of which led you up and down and all of the ins and outs of that, as you consider your past, as you consider that which is in front of you, right? That which is, is God is saying, here are these opportunities in front of you. What are you going to choose? How are you going to change your life right now versus your future? I want to ask you this. What are you putting your hope in right now? Because I want to ask this really deep thing. Is it in any way right now tied to your comfort? Is it in any way tied to your sense of approval? Is it in any sense tied to control? Or is it in any sense tied 
your desire for power. And I want to invite you to shift it to Jesus this morning, just to pull it off of those things and to realign with Jesus because his hope, only by attaching to something that is permanent will you find life that satisfies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we finish this morning, and as we sing a song to, to go out and worship of you, I pray that, that we would be surrendering to you the glory that you deserve. And I wonder if there's anything this morning that we need to let go of, that we would let go of that and, and give it really to you. Um, but more than that, like I even just, I just think right now, Lord, whatever the trial, whatever the suffering, um, whatever that is that's, in, uh, that's facing each person in this room right now, and, and the desire to place their hope into something that's shallow. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would call them and whisper into their ear and remind them that they have a hope that is far deeper and far, far more powerful because it is eternal in Jesus. And so Lord, may we this week point ourselves to Jesus as well, point other people to the hope that we have in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.